Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. Good morning, church, and we welcome you all in with us today. If you want to grab a Bible very quickly in your hands and hold one, uh, don't fear. The Bible won't hurt you. Nehemiah chapter 4, if you do a Bible flop to the very middle of the Bible in the Psalms and hang a left, you'll see Job and then Nehemiah. If you want to look it up on your phones even faster, it'll be behind me here in just one second. And we welcome those who are watching at home. Thank you for joining us this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll read through the 23 verses that make up this chapter. Uh, Very beautiful imagery, very powerful imagery. It'll come alive for you in just one second. And you can remain seated uh, here as we read the word of God. Once again, Nehemiah chapter 4, 23 verses, word of God. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall to all its reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pause on this rainy morning and say thank you with grateful hearts. 
that you have rescued us in Jesus Christ and that we are here in a free land, in a free country, able to do what we're doing right now, worship your name. I pray, God, that the worship that has been lifted to you would be pleasing to your ear, an aroma of sacrifice. And Heavenly Father, I pray that now you would speak to us. We want to hear your voice, not mine. We want your truth, not mine. I pray that this word would come alive for us today and that we would experience just a moment, a taste of your glory and of your presence. Heavenly Father, we invite you here. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Touch our minds. Touch our hearts. Refresh our souls as we encounter your word this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Once again, good to see so many of you here this morning. Uh, welcome back for those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, slowly, our church is coming back together in small little pieces, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for those who are watching, uh, who for different reasons can't come, many health-related, uh, and so we ask you to stay safe and to be careful. We take our third step in our Fearless series today. We have been uh, marching through different texts in the Old Testament. We looked at Noah, we looked at Gideon uh, in this Fearless series about facing obstacles, facing uh, those who would hurt us, just like you saw in this text, uh, the, the, the troubles that life brings, right, and how we as Christians respond to them fearlessly. Let me approach this text with Nehemiah in this fashion. I think we have a picture for you. For those of you who were alive in 1975, you'll remember this because they started to put this poster all in the movie theaters, and you remember this poster, 1975. Jaws. You can probably hear the little tune on the piano, right? And I know that I didn't go to the beach for a while. I don't know about you, but I stopped going. And in fact, this movie caused a decline in beach going across the United States of America after it came out. The influence and the power, right, of a movie. Now, every good movie always has a sequel, right? They always want to make more money off of it. So then three years later, 1978, this came out. Now, the theme for this movie was just when you thought it was safe, to go back in the water, right? That, that was the theme uh, underneath this one. So again, here's this great white shark terrorizing this poor little town, right? But the theme, just when you thought it was safe. And that's what we see here with Nehemiah. Thank you. We can switch over. That's what we see here with Nehemiah. Just when you thought it was safe. See, here's what's happening. Let me set him up for you so you understand. We have been in the promised land for a while now. Joshua is long gone and dead. We go through the time of the judges of upheaval, different leaders rising up to defend Israel at different times. Then all of a sudden we start to settle into this time of Samuel. He was one of the first prophets and one of the first big leaders, almost a king. And then all of a sudden you slip into this young guy called David. That should ring a bell, the shepherd. And then the shepherd boy has Solomon. And then Solomon raises Israel to its height. Big country, very powerful. But Solomon, as we all know in Scripture, begins to fall apart morally and spiritually. So what happens to the country after his death or even before he dies almost? It splits in half amongst his son. You have the north that keeps the name Israel. You have the south that keeps the name Judah. They go forward for a little while, but eventually God continues to send prophet after prophet to the north to bring them back, to bring them back to himself. They refused. They wanted to worship idols. They wanted to worship what, like the peoples around them. So God sends judgment in the form of the kingdom of Assyria. And the Assyrians wipe them out. There is nothing left of the north. The south marches on a little bit further. About another 200 years, give or take. They kept the name Judah. And God protects them. The reason you know that God protected little Judah and that God is aware and at work is that Judah resisted, of all people, the empire that came after the Assyrians, the Babylonian empire. 
You remember that from your history classes and whatnot in college. They were serious. These were men that were not to be trifled with. They were barbarians and they were savages. Yet this small little kingdom kept them at bay for countless years. Only God can do that. They were not prepared for this kind of battle. But eventually they turn away from God as well, and he allows them to be wiped out and destroyed. And that's where you arrive at the place where you talk about the exile, where the remaining Jews that were in Israel and that were in Israel are taken off to Babylon. Babylon had a very interesting habit. Every time they conquered you, they took your smartest, best, and brightest with them and put them right around the king's palace in a ghetto. That's what it was called. That's where the word begins there. So that the smartest and brightest could never lead a revolution against you who were in charge. So they put you in little neighborhoods all around the palace of the king. And it is there where the prophets begin to tell Israel, it's going to be 70 years, so get comfortable. You're not going back home. And so imagine leaving your home. Many, many of our families left different places in Central South America, the Caribbean, came here never to go back again. And that's what they experienced. So they left Jerusalem. They left the place they loved. They left the place that was everything to me. It meant everything to them. And they would never see it again. It would be their children who would come back home. And when they arrive back home, Jerusalem, the pride of Israel, is destroyed. No one has lived there in all these years. Ravagers kind of come through. Scavengers are here and there. People kind of live under the rubble. The temple is non-existent. The wall is destroyed. And imagine, it, I guess in our sense, if we would look at Washington, D.C., rubble broke and burned down to the ground. That, that's what the feeling would be like. So what happens? Babylonian Empire gives way to the Persian Empire. The Persians are more peaceful. So all of a sudden, they start to send some of these folks back home. Ezra leads the first charge. Ezra goes back and begins to rebuild the temple and bring worship back to Israel. And then you arrive at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, this was the person who tasted the food before the king ate it to make sure the king would not be poisoned and killed. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, if we would have looked at that, it says that he was sad when he brought the cup to the king. And of course, when a king sees a sad cupbearer, that's bad news. Because he might be sick and that means someone's trying to kill me. What is the problem? My country lies in ruin. The temple's not built. The walls, walls were very important in the ancient world. Our walls have crumbled down. There's no one there to repair them. Do you want to go back home? Yes, please send me back to my home. I will rebuild the wall. And he had ingratiated himself enough with the king that the king sends Nehemiah along with supplies to rebuild the entire wall. And that's where we arrive here. The construction has begun around the wall. I don't know if we have a picture of it for you, but we'll show it to you in a few moments. A picture of Jerusalem, very small at this point, so you get a sense of the walls being built. There she is. Very tiny. You can see it just kind of wraps around the temple, some houses, and this is the wall that Nehemiah is rebuilding. So when you heard me read, there are gaps in it. We are putting people in these gaps. There it is behind me. There were gaps in that wall. And this wall was supposed to be, you know, a story or two high. It was barely the height of a person. So you're not really safe in that environment. But nonetheless, that is the wall that Nehemiah is rebuilding. So here is where we arrive now at us. As Nehemiah begins to rebuild, as Nehemiah begins to pick up rock and put it on top of rock, all of the, the people who lived in the area that basically the, the Persians allowed them to kind of be themselves, as long as they didn't stir up trouble, the Arabs to the south, Sambalat to the north, Tobiah on the east, the, the Ashadites on the west, he kind, you know, they kind of let them, and when they see that Israel now all of a sudden is rebuilding, well, they get a little bit intimidated. They're like, there's someone else coming into our neighborhood, and we have to see what's happening here because things are changing. They're getting up on their own two feet. 
And this is where we arrive at us. Every single time that you begin to rebuild in your life with Jesus, every single time that you begin to take a stand with God and for God, every single time that God begins to use you to impact and help rebuild other people's lives, trouble comes calling. Every single time. As long as you do nothing, as long as you just wake up in the morning and kind of go to work and you just experience some of the typical troubles of life, you know, and then you go to bed at night and you kind of do the same routine, well, you'll kind of experience some stuff, but not this kind of attack. But the moment that you start to stand up for Jesus, the moment that you start to speak up for Jesus, the moment that you start to rebuild the wall in certain parts of your life that need it, that have been torn down and burned down, that have, that have been ravaged, and they need to be rebuilt. The moment you get to work on those, trouble will come looking for you. You don't have to go find it. It will find you. Because as long as you are not making ways for Jesus, as long as you are not making ways for God, as long as you're being just a good boy, little, a good boy and little girl for the devil, everything is going to be fine. Again, you'll have your couple of bumps here and there, typical life stuff, but it won't be this. Because these people came at Israel to destroy them again. And Nehemiah was one man. One man leading the rebuilding of a wall. There are no tractors. Let me just remind you, remember where we are. There's no tractors. There are no bulldozers. There's no construction company to call up. There's no contractor who's going to take care of it for you. It is you picking up rocks and making a wall. And you got people who are tired. And you have people who just showed up from being in Babylon all these years. And now you got to rebuild a wall because your very existence is at risk. So let me just start off with one premise and we'll work our way through it. Obviously, today we want to just respond. How does the fearless Christian face trouble? So that's what we're going to look at today. But let me throw this one premise out at you that I think will help you. Because if you can just kind of get your head around this and your heart around this, then everything will kind of maybe flow a little better. Stop trying to live a trouble-free life. It does not exist. It is a fallacy. It's a fairy tale. And all you're doing is setting yourself up for heartache and for frustration. And all you're doing is putting your faith in a very awkward place where you're saying, well, God, why don't you fix it? Well, pastor, why don't you fix it? Well, why doesn't the message on Sunday fix it? Why don't the songs fix it? It's because you have an unrealistic expectation. Jesus said himself, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart. Can you finish the phrase? I have overcome. Not your victory, his, but he gives you his victory to overcome the trouble outside those doors. A sinful, broken world cannot offer you a trouble-free life. Oh, you can throw all the money you want at it. You can throw all the, 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 the house and the stuff and the material at it, but in the end, trouble will come calling. As much as you try to keep it quiet, as much as you try to keep it calm, it will come knocking at your door, especially when you try to get things right by God. As long as you're kind of just treading water and kind of going through, no big deal. No one cares. The moment that you take a step toward God, prepare yourself because it's coming. And then so here we turn to here. What do we learn from Nehemiah? So let's look at the first point here against us. We have uh, Sambalat and Tobiah. I think we have a funny picture to show you. 
Uh, I know Gigi's out there somewhere. She'll get up there and she'll show it to you in a moment because these two guys reminded me of some characters that we're all very familiar with. I think you can see them here behind me. That's Sambalat, the bully from Beauty and the Beast, right? Gaston. He's the guy who runs the show. And Tobiah is his sidekick. No one cares about his name. He's just, you know, uh, this, guy, this guy's sidekick, Gaston's sidekick. And that's what they are. He shows up to Israel and he has an army. He's the one guy in the area who has an arm, and he's like, so what are you guys doing here? And then Tobiah's like the sidekick, saying funny, smart remarks, just kind of mocking, thank you, Gigi, for showing, for showing us that. So Sambalat shows up, and it says that he was very angry because suddenly he's not the only person in charge. You see, here's the thing. When you start to get right by Jesus, when you start to get right by God, all of a sudden you start to upset the balance and all your friendships and all your relationships and in your neighborhood and around you and your family. And that doesn't sit well with people who don't like God, who don't care about Jesus. And all of a sudden, they seek to restore that balance where they had a certain place and you have a certain place. Because once they figure out that this Jesus thing is not like a fad, it's not like a season that you're going through. Oh, yeah, they're going through the church season now and they love Jesus. You know, just give it a little while. You know, when they realize it's not just a show, when they realize that you're actually beginning to walk with Jesus, that you're actually beginning to listen to what the scripture said. It's actually like you're tuning in and the scripture's becoming clearer and clearer. And you get a sense of where you're supposed to be heading and how you're supposed to be loving and treating and doing. Other people will not accept it. They will not accept your success with God. They will not accept that suddenly the door that was closed for you is open, but theirs remain closed or they remain behind. And there is a sense where pride and ego get involved and the people who you thought were your friends are not the ones trying to tear you down. And that's what happened here. As long as Israel was a nobody, as long as the wall was in rubbles and pieces, as long as they were just a poor, oh, look at these poor, you know, these poor Israelites, they're coming back. Huh, they don't even have a city. But the moment that the construction began, the moment that the temple started to take shape, the moment that their lives began to come together again, it rubbed all the neighbors the wrong way. Don't be surprised when your success rubs your neighbors, let's put that in quotes, fill in the blank, the wrong way. They will resist you. They will try to tear you down. But how do we respond? See, the Christian individual, we build others up, even if that means we get left behind a little bit. We put the other first, no matter what. We take joy in the success of the other. We take joy in the victory of the other. We take joy in the triumph of the other. We lift them up as Christ has lifted us up. We are meant to help others arrive at their God-ordained destination. So I encourage you this morning, when you see someone, maybe in church or maybe in a small group or maybe in your office, when you see them getting ahead and that little, you know, that, the only way to say this, that little spoiled brat in all of us, right? Can we, can we agree on that? Kind of cross your arms and, oh, I can't believe that they're going to, you know. Instead of that, help them go further. Do things to help them succeed. That they may run even if it's ahead of you. And just for that split moment, you will be a little more like Jesus in their lives. Seek their success. Don't try to tear them down. Be prepared when others want to stop the progress and the movement that you are making towards God and Christ. So we turn to our second point, against God. Did you see Nehemiah's prayer? Kind of intense. It says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder. 
do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. They have thrown insults in the face of the builders. This is, this is kind of a, a pretty intense prayer. Nehemiah is basically almost, you can almost put it in quotes, calling down curse, a curse on these folks. He's not happy. But what is he not happy about? We'll get to that in a second. First of all, when trouble comes your way, right? When the devil comes to stop your progress, when others come to stop your progress, when they're, when they're jealous and envious of your success, right? When that first thing happens, what did Nehemiah do? He turned to prayer. He didn't fight back. He didn't scream back. He prayed. He prayed first. He started talking to God, not to those who were opposing him. The second thing he did is he prayed urgently. Hear us, O God. I think we've all probably prayed this before. Where we have said, God, I need you right now. I need you here right now. I need your presence and I need your throne and I need a little bit of that heaven power. I need it down here on earth in this moment. Join me in this moment. Continue to pray that way and you will see the power of God show up in your life and make things different. They prayed first, they prayed urgently. He prayed honestly. See, that's a raw prayer. Those are raw emotions. He's hurt, and he's a bit, of, he's been, he's a bit intimidated. He's, he's trying to figure out, how am I going to get through this without you? And so the rawness come out, comes out. Listen, church, don't ever be afraid to speak in a very raw and even inappropriate, if you want to look at it that way from our perspective, way to God. Be real. Be honest. Lose the church language. You don't need it. You don't need all that pretty stuff that we say sometimes. And we say it because we mean it and we want to give glory to God. But there, there comes moments in time where there is a moment of intimacy that is missed when you try to pray the politically correct prayer of God help me in this moment. No. Lord, I am hurting. Lord, I feel lost. Lord, it's burning down. Lord, I need you now. Lord, show up. I am hurt. I am angry. I am anxious. Say it. And in that raw moment of emotion, there was a supervisor that I had a long time ago within a varsity. Uh, his name was Paul. He came down with a very serious cancer in his throat. Uh, and he was a great speaker. He was a great writer. And it totally upended his whole life. And he said something to me over the phone one time that I could barely understand because they were reconstructing his throat and his, and his uh, vocal cords and everything. Um, and he said to me, you know, I learned to curse in the presence of God. And I was like, man, are you crazy? But you know what? It makes total sense. Because he was just being Lord. This cancer is destroying me. And he filled in with a couple of choice four-letter words, right? But in that moment... In that moment, he says, I have never been closer to God before. Because now there was no cute trappings. There was no cute dressing up. It was my raw heart. Here is where I am. Would you meet me here? Church, pray honestly with God. You're not going to scare him. You're not going to intimidate him. He's not going to be afraid of your language. But don't miss that moment of connection. Because the moment that you are raw in that fashion, all of a sudden you will begin to have new eyes to see what God is beginning to do, and you're going to start to say to yourself, oh my goodness, he's showing up, and he's working, and this is real, and there is power here, and that's where the relationship deepens and matures and really gets rolling down the hill, as they say. Pray fiercely, and here's where we arrive at his prayer, just so you understand it. 
We live in a politically correct society, and we must be careful with that. As, as much as we must be respectful, we cannot compromise the word of God. It is paramount over what our society thinks is important. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. That's why when I, I read it to you again, I wanted to read it one more time so you would hear the rawness and the political incorrectness of it. He's calling, he's telling God, don't forgive them. That, that's pretty intense. Because you have a God of, 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 of righteousness, but a God of mercy. And he's saying, don't show them mercy. Why is he praying this way? Very simple. Because they were attacking God's work through Israel. They were trying to hold back what God was doing. They were interfering with the movement of God in that land. They were trying to stop these individuals from being instruments of holiness and of righteousness and of goodness in that area. They were not attacking Nehemiah and the workers. They were attacking the intentions and desires of God himself. Make sure that you understand that. That sometimes when we hear some of these stories in our society about something happening at a church, and I know there's a bunch of controversy now with churches trying to open, and can you and can't you? And Listen, it's, it's not an attack on that pastor or that congregation. It's an attack on God. It's the, human, the continuing human desire to push God out of the center and be our own gods, the Adam and Eve inside of us. It's still there. Nehemiah is insulted. He is fierce, not because they're, they're going to attack him, not because they're trying to stop the wall being rebuilt, not because Israel's existence is literally hanging in the balance. He is mad because these individuals are resisting the agenda of God for them. They are trying to tear down the land that God gave them. Church, we need sometimes to be a little bit upset when our society tries to go against the scripture. I'm not asking you to become one of those Facebook warriors that writes insulting things to other people. That's not what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand. Don't go home saying that and don't put it on Facebook because I don't want to get in trouble. All right? I'm kidding. I don't mind trouble. It kind of follows me around. But anyway. Um, but when it's time to stand up for God's righteousness, it's time to stand up for God's righteousness. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? When, when you hear it and it falls outside of his way, when it falls outside of what, of what brings him glory, when it doesn't honor him, that's where Nehemiah is, and that's where we need a little bit of that in us, a little bit of that fire in us. And yes, there are times where we need to pray, Lord, please, this is happening in our society. It does not honor you. Would you fix it? Because it's not bringing you glory. Pray that God would use you as an instrument to bring his glory and his righteousness right around you, that you would be a holy place, that everything around you would be a holy place as well. That's what Nehemiah is praying for. And look, church, in the end, as much as Nehemiah prayed this prayer, notice that he kind of leaves it open-ended. In other words, let God judge. Please, in our society right now, as charged as the atmosphere is with everything from the virus to politics to whatnot, church, don't be the judge. Share your peace kindly, respectfully, according to the word of God, but leave it in God's hands. Leave it in God's hands. It's not your place. It's his place. And that's what Nehemiah did here. Let prayer lift you up. After Nehemiah prayed this prayer, the wall was halfway built. Let prayer lift you up. Seek it. Seek it. Because in between the trouble and the struggle, right, they were fatigued, they were tired. We'll get to that in a second. And the trouble, the blessing of God is in the middle. 
And if we can find that middle place in between the trouble, right, and the, and the struggle, right there, right there is where the blessing of God is for us. Let prayer lift you up. Let it comfort you. They said, our God, you're not alone. You're not alone. He's with you. Let's not pray prayers to get rid of the problems. Let's pray prayers to help us cope with the problems and see God more clearly through it. Different kind of prayers. Our third point, against all odds. Notice here it says, Sambalat, Tobiah, Arabs, the Ammonites, they all came towards the wall. They were angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is facing a challenge from the outside and one from the inside. Let's talk about the outside first. Here you have these four groups who get together. And imagine that you're kind of putting rocks on a wall and you're building and it's under the hot sun and, and you're doing, and all of a sudden you see an army come over the hill. And, you know, Gaston, right, the bully, Sambalat, is in his horse in front of it. And then you have Tobiah off to one side of you. You have the Ashodites on the other side and you have the Arabs coming up from the south and you are surrounded. You don't have soldiers. You don't have an army. You barely have a city. You don't have a wall. And you are surrounded and you are defenseless. Nehemiah was facing an incredible challenge from the outside. Church, why did they do that? Why did they try to intimidate? Notice that they don't attack. They try to intimidate. They mock, they insult, they show up, they surround to intimidate. So that they would stop the work. So that they would retreat and be afraid. Church, listen. When you face trouble from the outside, when it seems that you are surrounded by it, when it seems that it's going to collapse on you, listen closely to what I'm about to say to you right now. Don't you dare put your hammer down. Don't you dare stop building your wall. Don't you dare stop working for God and for Jesus Christ. You keep chipping away. You keep marching ahead. You keep building. And let God take care of the enemy. Because your God is greater. And that's what Nehemiah said when he told the people, he says, our God will fight for us. So let them surround you. Let them insult you. Let them mount attacks against you. Let it feel like the walls are closing in on you. God is bigger and God is stronger. Don't you dare stop working. Don't you dare start marching towards God's destiny for you. You keep marching ahead to the beat of God's drum, no matter what they do around you. And now look at the other side of it. What happens on the inside? Notice what they told. It says, meanwhile, the people in Judah inside said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild. You want to know when you're demoralized, you want to know when you're disheartened, you want to know when you're staring more at the enemy and at the trouble than at your God, when you start making excuses. When you start making excuses, you're asking people to feel sorry for you, but deeper than that, you're asking them to validate the fact that you have stopped walking with God. So the excuses start to pile up. Well, you know, this happened here, and well, you know, I couldn't make it because of this, and well, you know, this happened here, and, and well, you know how so. Excuses. No excuses with God. March forward in his strength, not yours. Keep building in his strength, not yours. No excuses. Look at what Nehemiah says. Do not be afraid. God will fight for us. It says that they came to him ten times over. That's just Hebrew speak for, they kept coming to say, we're in trouble. If you guys leave, they're going to kill us back here. 
you adapt. Nehemiah adapted. Well, if they're going to attack our families in the city while we're walking on the wall over here, we're going to bring our family with us. And everybody, everybody's going to carry rocks. The building of the spiritual wall in our churches, homes, families, you can just keep going. It's got to be together. Do it together. Carry the rocks, carry the hammer, do the work together to build it. Don't look at the enemy. Look at Christ. Keep your eyes vertical, not horizontal. I remind you what Paul said about trouble. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not here behind me. I'll read it to you. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Because we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Listen, part of the walk with Jesus is suffering. Paul said, it's a trophy that I hold high. Because when I suffer for Jesus, I know I'm walking for Jesus. Because an unbelieving world does not understand someone who would actually walk for Jesus. There is blessing in the storm, church. Please, don't ever think that when you're in the middle of a storm, there's no blessing. There's blessing in there. There's blessing waiting for you. Look for it. When God allows the storm to come, the storm has a purpose. And typically the purpose is to bring you one step closer to God. And you're saying the storm is meant to do that? Yes. God allows the storm sometimes to roll through our lives. He allows us to walk through the valley. Not to hurt us. Not to push us to an extreme. You know, not to, not to tempt us because God can't tempt. He allows us to go through it that we might step one step closer to him and see him ever more clearly. We begin to close. I love Nehemiah here at the end. It says, first of all, he looked things over, right? He kind of took a step back and he looked over the situation. Church, don't act rashly when the storm comes knocking at your door. When you are surrounded, take a step back, look things over. And like Nehemiah, pray. Talk to him first before you talk to anyone else. The second thing he did Nehemiah, when he came up to talk to the people, he was dressed for battle, not for work. Please know this, and I come back to what I said at the beginning. To walk with Christ is to battle a little bit every single day. Come dressed for battle. Don't come dressed for a picnic. Notice work in one hand, sword in the other. Come dressed ready, ready to work, ready to fight. And then I love that Nehemiah, when he finally has everybody together, Look things over. He's dressed to address them for battle, not for work. He shares his faith. Notice what he says. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid. Church, all of us have been there already, probably multiple times, where we have been surrounded by trouble where it seems that it's coming at us in waves. And this morning I say to you, do not be afraid. Your God is greater. And that's what Nehemiah says. Remember that your God is great and he is awesome. The next time trouble comes calling, take a step back and take a look around. 
The God who put the moon and the stars and the sun in its place. The God who made this entire universe. The God who created the trees, the animals, everything you see around you. The God who shaped you in your mother's womb. That God is the one that stands with you. Tell me what is there to be afraid of. The answer is nothing. The power of God and with Christ you will overcome. And then I want to finish on this note. To make sure that we finish turned outward. I always like to finish turned outward. Notice what he says here. He says, fight for your family, sons, daughters, your wives, and your homes. The fearless Christian who faces down armies, who rebuilds, who does not stop, who does not waver, who will not let himself be distracted or herself be distracted from the work that God has put in their life, doesn't forget about their neighbor. There are those, even in church, that trouble just overwhelms them a little bit quicker where the storm just scares them a little bit more, where an army coming over a hill forces them to look down instead of looking up a little bit quicker, stand at their wall and defend them and let that person know, whether they're a friend or maybe they're like the person who sits on the other side of the church or the people, let them know that they have someone in their family of faith that will stand with them no matter what. You will stand on that wall for them. And you will not allow anything to hurt them on your watch. We're not meant to just protect ourselves and protect our families and build up the pieces of our life that God wants us to build, that we might honor him more. But we are to help and to protect the other. As I said at the beginning, we're supposed to encourage others to move even ahead of us. But now the text finishes by telling us we're supposed to protect those who can't protect themselves. You know your friends. You know your family members. You know your co-workers better than I do. You know the ones that will get swallowed up by a storm cloud. Maybe it's a small one. A little bit of rain and they're like, ah. You stand for that person. And you let them know, I am here for you. Your enemies will not overwhelm me while I am here. And we will build this thing together. But that means that you have to sacrifice a little bit of your life that they might be saved. A little bit of your life, that they might be rebuilt. A little bit of your life, that they might step more into the way and will of God for their life. Church, would you do that for another? Would you do that for another? As Jesus Christ stood for you, I encourage you today, stand for another. And this is how the fearless individual tackles trouble, especially when it's around us from all sides. And I pray that Nehemiah's moment rebuilding his wall for his people, beautiful Jerusalem, beautiful Israel, will be a blessing to you this morning. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you fight for us, that you go before us, and that we are not alone. Teach us, God, to remember, to remember the great things you have done in our lives, in the lives of others, in our church, that we might know that the next time that trouble comes calling and we feel surrounded, that you will fight for us and you will protect us and that you will protect us that we might continue to walk in your will and in your way for us, that we might continue to rebuild our lives or maybe build up a new area in our life that will glorify you, that would bring you honor and praise. I pray, Father, that wherever we might find ourselves this morning, wherever we might be, in our journey with you, that we would be both fearless as we stand for you, Jesus, and that we would also look around 
and lift up our brothers and sisters who might be struggling under the attack, who might feel surrounded, who might be going through the storm, that we would align our lives with theirs, that we would stand on their wall, that we would protect, maybe even guide them, Father, but that we would hold their hand through that valley until they come out on the other side. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would both bless us and use us as blessing for another, that they might also step into fearless living for you. We pray all these things in the very precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.